You know, on this earth, our walks can be very different depending on our circumstances, where we live, our culture. For some, the word persecution is more than just mentioned occasionally, it's reality. For some, the cost of worshiping Jesus Christ, of gathering as a church, can be severe. In places like North Korea, you can be sent to a labor camp. And if you're found guilty and they send you there, your whole family goes with you. They're also held as guilty and accountable. In Afghanistan, they consider all Christians wrong and in the wrong religion. And if you refuse to convert to Islam, they often send you to psychiatric institutions. In places like Somalia and Sudan and Pakistan, they're all in the top ten when it comes to the persecution of Christians. Their brothers and sisters in Christ are imprisoned. Some are in forced labor, doing jobs deemed shameful for human beings. Some are kidnapped. Some are brutally killed. Now, I should say, this, old, this video is a little older. So this was like 2007. And China's come a long way. They're not in the top ten anymore. I think they're listed 27th on the persecution list. Other people have moved into their roles. But this same type of thing is going on as we speak right now. And it's probably no surprise that when I was researching the top ten persecuting countries, there, there was only one that was due to communism. Of course, that was North Korea. And the rest, the other nine said Islamic oppression, Islamic oppression, Islamic oppression, Islamic oppression. But it's important to understand it's not about the label. I think we can all agree it's not about the label of the oppressor. It doesn't matter because anything against Jesus Christ, anything against the kingdom of God is from the pit of hell. You're either a child of God, you're either dwelled by the Holy Spirit, demonically possessed, being controlled, or demonically oppressed, being manipulated somehow. Not many choices. The true enemy is the devil. And these other parts of the world, it's really dangerous to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But in many instances, Instances, it's so obvious who the enemy is using, who is standing across the battlefield from you. We know it's the devil, but who's he being represented by? It becomes obvious in these countries. In this country, we have the same foe at the core, but we are always battling, people we are always battling, or who we're always battling, is not so clear. Sometimes you may not even know you are in a skirmish or a battle till the damage starts and you begin feeling it. For us, the war is usually about distraction or instilling doubt about following God's word or changing God's word. It's always about pulling the people away from Jesus Christ, from church, from fellowship, from prayer, from the word. Across this world, there are Christians in labor camps and prisons being beaten, being tortured, facing death because they want to share Jesus Christ with the lost. They want to gather together as a church. They want to read their Bibles. They want to worship the king openly. They want to praise his name in public. They actually want to do that stuff. 
And it's obvious with the individuals that I'm talking about, many of them who are imprisoned right now, who are facing death, is because they won't reject their Lord and Savior. They won't reject Him. They won't do it. She didn't sign the document for six more years. And they won't stop talking about Him. It seems to me that in this country... We are, are, or at least maybe I feel, removed from what's happening in other parts of the world when it comes to Christianity and its followers. And as Christians in the United States, we should be on guard that we don't, have become, don't become disconnected from the reality of what other people are going through in the world and view everything through the eyes of Americans and view everything through the eyes of the United States and project our culture on everyone else and how things should be. See, I believe that, as, at least for some, we have this tendency to forget or take for granted what freedom actually means. We take for granted what a privilege it is to pick up that thing we call the Bible, the Word of God, and to be able to read it, and to be able to own one. We forget the privilege it is that we can come together as the body of Christ and we can worship together openly without the police knocking down the doors and taking people away. We forget what a privilege it is to come together as brothers and sisters and to pray for one another and to pray for the church and to pray for the world without people stopping us. For all those reasons I just named, there's people suffering severe persecution in the world as we speak, as we sit here right now. And I'm going to share a few numbers with you from a website called Open Doors. It's tied to the watch list who monitors Christian persecution throughout the world. And they have recorded, and this is the, this is the numbers that they know of, 245 million Christians have known to have or reported suffering persecution. No, they know, they know that number is wrong. Why? Because women are taking a double whammy. They're getting persecuted just because they're women and they're Christian. So when they persecute these women, they are violating them, they are abusing them in ways that in the culture is not talked about and not reported. So they know the number is actually a lot higher, but they don't know what it is. So based on that number, 245, one out of every nine Christians is being persecuted. In 2019, this year, 2,625 Christians have been detained without a trial, which means for their faith, they've been arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned in there right now. And listen, make no mistake, I'm not talking about our prison system, where there's three square meals a day and you may come out with a better education than when you went in and you may come out healthier than when you went in and there's leisure time, there's all these different times to get you back on your feet and get you going. No, not at all. The prisons I speak about are unsanitary. You may go out, come back out way sicker than you went in. You may come back out with a disease you never had to begin with. Prisons I'm talking about, they're still using torture. They're still doing what she went through. They're still using isolation. They don't care about human rights. In North Korea, you're not even viewed as a human when you're sent to their camps and could be executed anytime without question. And some of their camps hold 50,000 people. 
And by the way, they're number one on the persecution list. And here's a number that stayed with me. Right now, there's an average of 11 Christians being executed for their faith each day. Think about that today. When we're going to bed, 11 more people have died because they would not recant Jesus Christ. That's an average. That's still going on. I want to encourage you to go on Voice of the Martyrs, go on Open Doors, go on Watch This, go to see what they're showing as videos. You know, there are so many videos, it's disgusting, of beheading Christians from ISIS alone. Listen, it's just important for us to know that, you know, if, if we're saved, we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that there's members of the church, there's brothers and sisters in Christ suffering in other parts of the world because they will not reject their Savior. They won't stop gathering to worship. They won't give up their Bibles. They will not stop sharing him with the lost. And if you go on some of these sites and you see the testimonies, they're gonna, many of them are going to say, I, I knew what was coming, but I couldn't stop it's good to know, it's wise to understand, too, that if these people that I'm talking about were just about clothing and bandage and feeding and meeting the needs of people who are hurting over there, they would have been absolutely 100% safe. As long as they didn't want to gather and worship Jesus, as long as they didn't want to talk about him openly, they would not have bothered them because their religion says all that stuff's good. All they had to do is keep their mouth shut. But their faith wouldn't allow them to. You know, when you put it into perspective, those that are suffering for Jesus are probably giving us a truly clear picture of what all in means. In this country, for many, it's just, it's just stepping out of our comfort zone. You know, dropping all the things that we do well and be, being used by God in other areas. Not going in the direction of our talent, just going in the direction of God and letting him empower us. Putting ourselves in a position where we have to rely on and trust in Jesus Christ and not our own wisdom and understanding. But for them, it's about taking their last breath in the service of the Lord. There is a great chasm between the two. You know, when I talk about persecution, we should not be surprised that as Christians that we're going to face persecution because Christ himself warned the disciples of what was going to happen in the world. In John 15, 19, he says, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of that world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. We should expect to be hated when people know what we stand for. If they reject it. If we're sharing Jesus Christ, if we are lights on the lampstand, if we are bringing the gospel, if we are bringing our faith, some people are going to hate us. If we are standing on the word, some people are going to hate us. And it goes on, he says, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master since they persecuted me. Naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They will not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me hates the Father. 
And anyone who hates Christ hates us. We can expect to be hated. We can expect to be treated harshly. We can expect to be threatened, hurt, or even killed. And the enemy is going to throw everything at us, everything in his power, every temptation he can come up with, everything he knows about us to stop us from moving forward as the body of Christ. Each one of us is going to have our own battles. The church is going to have its own battles. And what happens with that is we've got to stand on the promises that God has given us. And in Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah and one of the, pro- or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates, of Hades, uh, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone. So then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Listen, after Jesus poses the questions to the disciples, who do you say I am? He receives an answer from Peter through the revealed truth of the Holy Spirit, affirming that he's the Son of God. Then the Lord goes on to make some promises, and he uses a phrase in another Greek word for the first time in the New Testament. And the phrase is gates of hell or Hades, and the word is ecclesia for church. He says, Thou that thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail of it. Listen, and as many of you know, this is a pretty well-known verse of which there has been much abuse and it's much debated. But today I'm not getting deep into the translations here, the debated sections. I'm referring to the section that says, you know, thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. But I want to encourage you to investigate deeper and have some conversation if you've got more questions about this with the pastors, Bob, me, Dan. And then... Uh, so, but today, for today, I believe that at minimum, Christ is referring to either of two things. The first is Peter as part of the building of the foundation of the church, along with the disciples and the prophets, or to Peter's confession of faith, the revealed truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, we know as Christians that Christ is the true foundation of the church. <clears throat> we know that he is the head of the church. We know that he's the one building the church. And Christ uses the Greek word ecclesia, or church, for the first time here. And many are familiar with the, the meaning, the first meaning of that means assembly, which makes sense. But did you know this? It also means the called out ones. It means the called out ones. And that's very powerful and speaks to volumes about those who follow Jesus Christ. The called out ones are called out from what? What are we called out from? We're called out from the world. By what? How are we called out? We're called out by the gospel message. You know, when we say in the world and not of the world, this is it. By hearing the gospel message, by responding to it, by accepting Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have been called out of the world. And we should be reminded here, too, that he's not talking about the church building. 
That word's not about the church building. It's not about the four walls. It's re, as it referred to the New Testament, he's talking about a body of believer, believers, either local or universal. It's not about the four walls. It's not about the provision. It's about the provider. See, we forget that sometimes. You know, I also, I want to say this too. We can be good stewards and we're called to be good stewards, but you've got to be careful that you're not such a good student that you're taking your eyes off whatever was provided and keeping it at a certain spot and keeping it going and doing all the stuff and taking your eyes off Jesus Christ. Because it's not about the provision. It's about the provider. And he will provide what you need to do what he wants you to do. And if you take your eyes off of Christ and you stop listening to him and you don't wait for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Whose direction are you going in? It's so important to, to draw the line between the provision and the provider because it, it needs to be absolutely clear. It's going to affect your walk. It's going to affect how you view things. It's going to affect how you make decisions. It's going to affect on if you're relying on Jesus Christ or not. It's going to affect about how you listen to his word and how you follow him. Are you spending all your time trying to keep the provision going? Are you spending all your time Using the good steward thing and never doing anything else that you're supposed to for the word of God? It's wrong. We've got to be careful with that. And we can be careful with that. We just have to be aware of that. So that's really talking about not the church, the buildings. It's talking about the body of believers. And to the body of believers, God makes this tremendous promise. And this is us. This is those in prison. This is those facing execution right now. And this is the promise, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's the other first I was talking about. This is the only place in the New Testament where gates of hell or Hades is used. The only place. And there has been some debate about what it, what it means, but most commentators believe it's referring to the power of hell. You know, at ancient times, when you looked at cities, cities were judged how strong they were, how powerful they were by the their gates, how tough their gates were, because that's the first place they were going to go to attack, the first place they were going to test out. And how powerful the gates were and strong the gates were, we're going to determine how protected the people are inside. So in this case, the gates of hell, the power of hell, of Hades, wasn't going to pray and will not prevail against the church. The church will not be dominated or overwhelmed by the enemy. It will, be not, it will not be stopped by the power of hell or by death. Something the gates of hell is really referring to how powerful they are, strong to contain things, being strong enough to hold something in. But even on that side of the coin, the gates of hell are not going to contain the church. The gates of hell are not going to stop us from growing. It's not going to stop us from moving forward. That's his promise to us. Hades, which means death, and we know as Christian, death has lost its sting, right? The followers of Jesus Christ should not fear death anymore because Christ conquered it for us. He couldn't, it couldn't hold him, and it will not hold back the church. When you look at testimony after testimony about these people facing disgusting imprisonment, torture, and death, they're not afraid to die. And you know why? They've counted it as part of the cost. They counted laying their life down for their Lord and Savior as could be part of their Christian walk. 
And even in the face of knowing that that was coming down the road and at least imprisonment, they continued to share Jesus Christ. Is that something that we have counted as part of the cost? Is that something that we're really willing to do? You see, I see here that in America, and we look at it and in our jobs and the places that we are, when we're trying to, we want to bring the gospel, some would bring it as soon as the heat gets turned up and the persecution's going to come or somebody's going to hate them. They drop it. They go in with the shield of faith and the sword of the word and they lay them down and they're not, they're not carrying them when it gets to that point. They have accepted persecution as being part of Christian, being part of a Christian, Christian's walk. I think we avoid persecution. We do our best to stay out of conflict. The Bible says we're going to be hated. We don't like to be hated. We want to preach Jesus Christ and be well-liked at the same time. And listen, I think that's human nature. It's not going to happen. God said, not Mike. God said. Please, let's be clear about that. Let's not kill the messenger. God said. And they have accepted that persecution. And the question comes up, you know, how are they doing this? How are these? How is she doing this for six more years? It may not be these torches, but you know, she's going, you know, she's had to have beatings and the whole bit. How is she doing that? How do the people stay firm in Jesus Christ when they know they're going to die? And they can stop it by rejecting him. How do they stay in prison and refuse to can't recant Christianity? They refuse to reject their savior. In the midst of torture with everything in them screaming, all I have to do is do this and it'll stop. Why don't they do this? Why didn't she sign the document? In the midst of the brutality, how can they be so, you know, assured and standing on God's word? She's repeating Bible verses to herself. First of all, she doesn't use, or they don't use God's grace as an excuse for doing something against Christ. They choose not to, and they've accepted the consequences because they've counted the cost. How is their faith so strong? Simple, really. And it requires a decision on everyone's part. A decision that some of us struggle with because we don't want to make the correct one. In Jeremiah 17, 5, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by heat or or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. In verse 8, I I think it's the uh, New King James Version. It says, the tree sends out its roots. See, we have a choice. We have a choice to do the righteous thing. We have a choice to do the godly thing. We have a choice to get into the word. We have a choice to live by the Holy Spirit. 
I love this verse because it talks about believers as trees. And the trees are sending their roots out to get sustenance. The roots that they think are health, a sustenance that they think it's healthy. So they can draw from that. It makes a choice. Because whatever it's going to take in, it's going to either hinder its growth or it's going to help its growth. If we send our roots to the world and we're drawing some kind of strength from the world, I just want you to know this, that the water's polluted. And at some point in time, it's going to show up in your walk. It says, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. If we are even sending roots in the direction of people that we admire or people that we're like, or maybe they're not even saved, maybe they're not non-believers, the nourishment that we're taking in at minimum is polluted and probably poison. You just haven't felt the effects of it yet, but you will. Or maybe you have. Whether we realize it or not, what we choose to be involved with, or who we choose to yoke to, what we choose to do, could be causing us to turn our hearts away from the Lord. And it may be so gradual and slow, you're not even noticing. But you will at some point. It's almost the same thing as the enemy working on you and getting you to isolate from church. All of a sudden you're like, what am I doing? One of the commentators made a really good statement. He said, you know, if you're involved with something or you're in something or you're questioning your involvement, commentator said this, if you can't talk about or share your faith there, don't get comfortable. If you can't go in and talk about Jesus Christ and bring up where you're at, your walk, Christianity, without the tomatoes, don't get comfortable. And that's supposed to happen. That is supposed to happen. It's a good test of where we're at, what we're doing, the things we get yoked to. We have to be careful. We have to be careful because it not only will affect your walk, it'll affect those around you, it'll affect your household, it'll affect your marriages. And, you know, poison is probably a good analogy because it starts to go in these different areas and it spreads. Sometimes it's slow, man. Not so obvious. How these guys do it? How do these martyrs do it? How do these people that are suffering do it? Because they have their roots in one place, Jesus Christ. They have their roots in one place, Jesus Christ. They don't have their roots all over the place in what they feel like doing or the things that entertain them or or whatever. They have their roots in one place. So what they're being filled with is living water. What they're being filled with is Holy Spirit filled. It's righteous. Through and through. They're drawing all their sustenance from their Lord and Savior. They are clear in their discernment. They're operating in his strength. They're walking in the power of God. They have peace in the middle of these circumstances. They have peace when they're about to be executed. See, for these people, because everything is in Christ and they're all in, fear has no hold on them. They're not afraid. One of the commentators made the statement, you, can har- you can't harm me, you can only kill me. Because they're already willing to lay down their life. Death has no sway over them. Because they know it's not the end. Christ conquered it. 
Word is their sword and the faith is their shield and they don't put them down. Chosen to send their roots in the right direction. This is how they do it. And at the end of Jeremiah 17, it says, It does not fear when heat comes. He, it leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought. And it ne- never fails to bear fruit. Doesn't worry when the heat gets turned up. Doesn't worry when the persecution's there. Doesn't worry when the conflict's there. Why? Because they're standing in Christ. And that's the only thing that is affecting them and helping them and guiding them and strengthening them. They're not letting the rest of the world get in. They're not because they're all in Jesus. But it's a choice. It's a choice for you. It's a choice for me to do that. And some struggle with that choice so much. Seek ye first the things of the kingdom of God and all other things will be added unto you. Listen, when you're drawing everything possible from the one true living God, then you'll have everything you need for your Christian walk. You will have everything you need that God has planned for you. You'll have everything you need for your family. You will have everything you need. Period. Keep your eyes on the provider. You'll be a testimony to those around you. Your actions will be of righteousness. And when adversity comes, man, you're just going to face it in the power of God with the assurance that it's God's will and God's plan unfolding. And I love this when you'll never fail to bear fruit. You'll be bearing fruit in your, of the Holy Spirit in your life, but you'll also be bearing fruit by multiplying and telling other people about Jesus Christ because you won't be able to contain yourself. You won't want to contain yourself. And in the midst of being threatened, in the midst of being persecuted, you don't care because the God's on your side. Lord's doing the battle for you. And you can't wait to share Jesus Christ with someone else who's on the way to hell. So for us sitting here today, I just want, I want to put it out there that we all need to evaluate where our roots are going. We have a lot of options in this country. That's the problem. With, for us thinking, sitting here today, I know when I'm saying this, and I'm talking about Nigeria, and I'm talking about Somalia, and I'm staying in all these countries, you're probably thinking, you know, I'd like to pray for those guys. But I have to tell you, and I, man, this hit me like a ton of bricks when I was writing this. When I think about these guys sitting in prison, when I think about these guys, so women and men, facing execution because they won't reject Jesus Christ, I want to contact them and ask them to pray for me. Because to me, they are in the center of God's will. They are walking in the power of God. They're not fearing things of the world or the enemy because they know we've won. And when I think about it, my hang-ups and my fears are about this big compared to what they're going through. And I want them to pray for me for more faith. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up, and I know we ran a little late. But as, I, as we finish up here, I'm going to ask you, if you need to pray, come to the altar. And if at minimum, pray for those people who are suffering over in these countries as of right now. And I want to close a couple promises, you know, that we can stand on. And one is that the church is going to continue to grow despite what the enemy throws at it. Can I get an amen at that? The gospel will be preached, disciples made, followers baptized, all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to leave you with this last fact. 
1979, there was 500 known Christians to exist in Iran. And according to church leaders in 2019, there's 500,000. Let's leave with this last verse, Matthew 16, 18. The end of it is, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen.